0: You're listening to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. My name is Reed, and I'm the intern pushing all the buttons. We have a treat for you today. Our first interview on the pod is with Dr. Harry Reeder. He's the senior pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and has over 40 years experience in church planting, revitalization, and pastoring. Let's kick things over to our two resident church planters to get things started, John and Hunter. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Hunter. How are you? John, any
1: snowball fights up in North Dakota? (sighs) Not yet, not yet, but uh, still no boiled peanuts, even though I saw you were going to send me some of the mail. So, not looking forward to that package, but uh, we'll we'll endure until the snow falls. Excited for our guest today. Dr. Reeder is with us. Welcome, Dr. Reeder.
2: Yes, great to be with you, John. Thank you for the invitation, both you and Hunter. Good to be with you again.
0: So, we have a lot of questions that we want to ask today. We're excited to hear what you have to say. So, without any further delay, I thought that we would get going. So, Dr. Reeder, there are many unchurched and dechurched people in this country. Church planning is a meaningful way to reach them. Church revitalization, however, is often overlooked. Do you think this is an accurate statement? And if so, why do you think that?
2: Yeah, I think uh, church revitalization is either overlooked or uh, misdefined. Um, and so, and I have some pretty strong convictions about it. I was thrown into the matter of church revitalization. My first congregation in 1980, as I came into the PCA, was a church that actually the Presbytery asked called me the first week and asked me to close it down, sell the property, and go plant a church. Mm. And um, I just looked around, and the, we are, there are plenty of people. And uh, I just said, "Well, guys, what makes us think we can go somewhere else and reach people if we can't reach those around us here?" I think I think there's something wrong with us that we need to address and deal with. And uh, so I was facing church revitalization, but had not been prepared for church revitalization, yet I had been to a great seminary, Westminster, that taught me not only the inerrancy of God's word and how to handle it, but also the sufficiency of God's word. So I sat in my office and figured out, you know, uh, it seems to me that this should not surprise God. If he's going to plant his church, build his church, and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it, then it seems to me churches that are in trouble Um, that he would uh, already have for us uh, how to handle this. And and then came my eureka moment, reading Acts 15 and the initiation of the second missionary journey. And uh, having studied the first missionary journey that Paul went and did gospel evangelism and discipleship, then he planted gospel churches with Barnabas, and then he did... Gospel deeds of love and mercy and justice, and then he did, uh, and then he developed and deployed gospel leaders. I then noticed that when he goes back to the second missionary journey, he does the same thing, except he adds something very pointedly, and that is a predominating focus, which is church revitalization. Well, number one, if Paul's churches needed revitalization, it's okay for mine to need revitalization. (laughs) And uh, number two, it was clear that this was part of the strategic, the apostolic strategy for fulfilling the Great Commission was church planting and church revitalization. In fact, I can make a case that there may be more study material for church revitalization than church planting in the New Testament, from the five of the seven churches in the book of Revelation to the churches set back in order in Crete. To the churches, um, the, the church at Ephesus, where Paul sends Timothy to revitalize it, and gives him a handbook called First Timothy and a handbook on revitalization to Titus. So, yes, I I believe it's overlooked, but I believe we're being unbiblical to overlook it, and we must not misdefine it. Many times we call re- church revitalization by what we want what we want the church to eventually do so i hear words like renewal or growth or diversity and uh, those are those are blessed consequences of church revitalization they're not the objective the objective is the spiritual health and vitality of the church growth is a consequence reaching all of the segments of your parish is a consequence renewal is a consequence you you must we have to maintain i have fought for um since 1980 for the word revitalization because i think that's what has to happen is the is the vitality the gospel health and vitality of the church needs to be restored
1: that's so helpful, especially just as you were talking, I was thinking through a lot of those passages, and then you brought them up. I thought, yeah, Paul's uh, so often rebuking or correcting or coming in to encourage a church to turn back to faithfulness. Um, had never really thought through that lens before, but uh, very helpful.
2: Well, I think perhaps even more exciting for me was the second eureka moment when I realized that not only was there all kind of material on this, uh, but also uh, that Jesus himself had given the paradigm. He had given the roadmap, and that's the second time the Church at Ephesus needed revitalization. The first time was under Timothy, the second time under John, and, um, and then Jesus himself gives us the paradigm. Remember and repent and recover. In other mm-hmm. words, the thing built into the sacrament of covenant renewal, isn't it? What was what, What'd you do in the Passover? Remember, I delivered you. Clean out the leaven. Repent. And then take your staff, eat it in haste, and get back to the basics. Recover the first things. Then what do you do at the Lord's Supper? The fulfillment uh, meal of the covenant renewal. Remember the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourself. Repent. And then preach the gospel until I come again. Get back to the basics. So Jesus gives us the format. It's not up to what is the latest contextualization program or the latest contextualization ingenuity of the individual, but just what did Jesus say to do? That's what the apostles did. They had a strategy that emphasized both planting and revitalization. And then they also followed the direction of Jesus and how to uh, accomplish revitalization. Remember, repent, and recover. And then you go to the book of Timothy, First Timothy or Titus, and you can begin to down- download the 10 strategies to implement the roadmap. Remember, repent, and recover. And that's how Embers to a Flame got born out of that experience of dealing with the scriptures.
1: Well, Dr. Reeder, you are the founder and heavily involved in a ministry called Embers to Flame. Obviously, that's very closely connected to this revitalization ministry. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that started, what it's doing now? uh, What's kind of the the vision and mission for that ministry?
2: Yeah, so this, uh, you know, so uh, I'm just, I'm a little bit of a focused individual on this. So, um, number one. I think any local church, any presbytery, or any denomination that does not give resources and leadership to church revitalization, again, I'm going to be hard-nosed on this, so you can feel free to edit it out, not church <laughs> renewal. That's, that's, re, church renewal is a consequence. Not church growth, that's a consequence. Not church diversity, that's a consequence the the consequences are never your objective. The objective is, let's go back and strengthen the church. He didn't say, let's go back and grow the church. He didn't say, let's go back and renew the church. He said, let's go back and strengthen the church. And so when you come back, and and you then say to the church, well, how do you do this? Well, Jesus says, well, let me tell you how to do it. You remember from where you've fallen. What what did I do first when the thing was alive and on fire for me? And now you'll you'll that will uncover your sin. You need to repent. That then uncovers the strategies of what are the first things? How do you recover the first things? You don't, I mean, I re, I'll never forget the, uh, when I read the, when I was in college, I switched from baseball to golf and my model was Jack Nicholas, although obviously I could not come close to anything <laughs> that he did, but I remember what he did every year. He went back to his teacher and he said to Jack Grout, he said, Mr. Grout, teach me how to play golf that is the greatest golfer in the world saying teach every year teach me how to ber- how to play golf and he would start with the grip and then the takeaway and then the turn and then the trigger and then the follow through and then the face the face of the club that's what he would do every single year the greatest golfer in the world and um, and we all think there's something unique, exotic, ingenious thing that if we come up with, that's the answer. Well, the, and so we go find a successful church and we try to unplug it and plug it in. And we're Fargo, uh, Birmingham, uh, Memphis. Jesus is the architect, the owner, and the designer of the church. We don't need to re-architect it. He just He just said, pray for workers. And so what we need to do is to find out what does he want us to do? And then revitalization is bringing that church through leadership back to health and vitality, uh, looking for the Lord to rend the heavens and come down through leadership that is following the paradigm that Jesus laid out. And so I I just said, this is where I want to stay. This is, I want to do that. I want to be a part of this. And it's not because I don't love church planting. I have had three pastorates. My first one was revitalization. My second one was a church plant, and my third one was what I call uh, next level—that is, someone coming into a reasonably healthy church and attempting to take it to the next level without tearing up the teepee. And so, um, I think a lot of our "quote unquote" church planting is really not church planting. We're really just subdividing dying churches. And, uh, and we're picking up the leftovers uh, to, quote, unquote, start another church. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Pastor, what do you think of the idea every church plant a church? And I said, not much. Why not? Well, I said, oh, I love the motivation. And I'd love to get there. But there's a lot of churches in the PCA. I pray they don't reproduce themselves. <laughs> I don't, they, I, they don't need to reproduce themselves. What we want, and just stop and think instead of peddling harder in church planting, what about if we closed the less churches with a, an aggressive biblical ministry of church revitalization? And now those churches, when they're led back to gospel health and vitality, now you've got another church to plant a church instead of another church to, replace, to possibly replace a church. And we can't, we can't replace them faster than we're closing them in the evangelical church today. So I would just say that what we want to get done is um, we want to have gospel-healthy churches planted and gospel-healthy churches led back. We called it Embers to a Flame. Here was my thought. The church I pastored at Pinelands had been a 1,000. It had been 1,000, and not only, uh, and it had four churches every Sunday, I mean, four services every Sunday morning. And, um, and it had been alive. It was, I mean, it was Coral Ridge Presbyterian in South Florida before Coral Ridge and uh, Presbyterian in South Florida. It was the, it was the church. Now they're getting ready to close it. I I don't, I have no children in the Sunday school. I mean, one good flu season, I'm out of a church and uh, that's where I am. And, but this church had been alive. And so um, I said this, but there's some embers left. Would God allow us to exercise biblical leadership to lead this church back to health and vitality, to mix the metaphor, the embers come back to a flame? Mm.
0: You've mentioned both church planting and revitalization. What? Because there are pastors in both settings um, that are having a difficult time. There are men who are considering church planning, and they're considering revitalization. What words of encouragement and words of challenge do you have for these situations?
2: Oh, anybody can plan a church. It takes a real man of God to revitalize a church. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> no, that's not quite the message I want to communicate. Uh, you need, but like I said, I've done all. I've done three. I've done. I believe there are basically three types of pastorates. You either plant church or you revitalize the church, or you come to a reasonably healthy church to take it to the next level. It's what I call the next level pastorate. In God's providence, I've been given all three of those challenges in my life. Here's the key for me. I don't care if I'm planting it, revitalizing it. I don't care if I'm... um, I don't care if I'm trying to take it to the next level. My objective is not the blessings I want to see in the church. My objective is the spiritual health and vitality of the church. If you if you can even take good desired consequences of your ministry, and if you make that your objective, you're going to ultimately uh, you're going to ultimately fail. As I said, in revitalization, my objective is not renewal. That's a consequence I'm praying for. My objective is not diversity, I but I want every demographic in my parish to be represented in my church. I want that to happen. But I know that doesn't come. Now, I'm going to get a little controversial, so hang with me. That doesn't happen if I'm multi, I am multi. Don't, you don't have a multicultural church. You reach the cultures in your parish by having a culture of gospel health and vitality. That's the culture of the church. Christ-centered, God-glorified, Bible-based, gospel-driven, spirit-filled churches. That kind of a culture is what enables you to reach the cultural dimensions in your parish. Our renewal, our but if you ever take one of those blessings, like if it's going to be growth or renewal, or if you ever take one of those blessings, you're going to become a single dimension church, and it's only going to basically last your lifetime mm-hmm. as a pastor. Uh, that you're going to hold it together uh, around that program, around that issue. But what we need to do is be focused on what Paul said. I'm going to go back and strengthen the churches. And And how do you do that? Jesus says, here's how you do it. Remember, learn to use the past, not to live in the past, but to learn from the past in order to live in the present and change the future. Then what? Repent, clean out the sin usually there's sin somewhere and it's usually in the leadership of the church is is where you need to start. Then what? Recover the first things. Get back to the first things and learn to do them right. And um, so that's what uh, uh, I think. I think both of those initiatives of gospel healthy church plant planting and gospel healthy church revitalization, that's what, planting vital churches and leading dying churches back to vitality. Um, And I believe as long as we, I'm not, again, I do not doubt the motivations, but as long as we keep trying, that's, I sat there and read all that material on church growth in the 1980s. It was pouring out of Fuller Seminary and the McGavern group. And I, it was insightful it was wise it was everything i mean it was it was exciting but something wouldn't rest with me it was psychologically driven it was sociologically driven the uh, the homogeneous principle I, all of those things i began to read them and i but it was pragmatism and checking the bible i'm not going against the bible What I had learned in my seminary is start with the Bible, then check out what is being offered to you. That's where you want to start. And that the Bible isn't silent on what to do with the dying church. Start with the biblical material. Then you can sort through the things that are being recommended to you.
1: Well, Dr. Ritter, between your passion and your alliteration, uh, I can sort of tell you a preacher. Uh, But what would you say to other pastors um, and presbyteries that maybe they have church planning budget, uh, maybe they're involved with their missions committee in the presbytery or in their church level? What can they do to maybe get more organized and intentional to help uh, with revitalization in their area?
2: Well, listen, if if you believe in something, there's three things that will show you really believe in it. If you believe in something, you'll put prime leadership, prime time uh, my friend Randy Pope taught me this I don't know thirty years ago. Uh, if you're really committed to something, I mean if, if somebody asked me um, what is a church committed to here's what I said show me your budget, show me what your leadership is doing, and show me uh, what your calendar is and I can tell you what your real priorities are and so it, you put prime people, prime resources, prime finances, prime time, you've always put that to where your priorities are. So I remember when I went to plant the church in Charlotte, Christ covenant, we had 38 people meeting in a double-wide modular unit, and, and Briarwood paid my salary, which was $24,500 a year in 1983 when I went there. And that's what they paid me and $25,000 a year for three years. And I will never forget one of the missions guys looked at Tom Chile, the missions pastor and Frank Barker, the pastor and said, $25,000 a year. Do you know what we can do? Do you have any idea to know what we can do on the mission field overseas with $25,000 a year? And it looked like they were going to vote me down. I'll never forget that. And then Dr. Barker and, uh, spoke up and he said, well, praise the Lord. Amen. Harry, are you going to do faith promise missions? I said, yes. <laughs> he said, are you going to send missionaries over the world? I said, yeah. He said, are you going to be committed to world missions? He said, Yes. Yeah. And he said, well, I think $75,000 is a good investment here. Well, that's, a
0: good, that's a good impersonation, by 14,
2: the way. <laughs> oh, I can't, I'm, I'm better if you get me in person. 14, <laughs> year, 14 years. 14 years later, Christ's covenant had given $12 million to world missions and had 65 of our members on the mission field because of that $75,000 commitment. You got to put prime leadership, prime time, and prime resources into both church planting and church revitalization. And guess what happens? Healthy churches grow. Healthy churches reach their community. Healthy churches put men into the gospel ministry, and put missionaries on the foreign field and the local field. But you've got to be focused on gospel healthy church planting and church revitalization.
0: You've talked about church planting, and how did you know? First of all, tell us about your church planting experience, and then how did you know that you were called to plant a church?
2: Well, first of all, I said no three times to Terry Geiger and Briarwood and Briarwood to go to Charlotte, and, um, which was my hometown. I hadn't been there in 14 years. Um, I was scared to death to go back because the only thing I say about my pre-Christian life is uh, I was a violent, immoral, um, ungodly, profane uh, rebel against the Lord. And um, there was a lot of people in Charlotte that had all the details and uh so going back there was was very fearful to me but uh but it also God put it on my heart and uh so I began to think what would happen if see we didn't that was back what was called the flagship church planting project, and I was the first guinea pig. Terry Geiger had watched what had happened in Atlanta in the opening couple of years with Randy Pope and said, we need to do this in cities where we don't have a PCA church. So he came to me and said, here are 10 cities. Would you pray through these? And I just said no for a, two, three or four times because I loved where I, I mean, listen, I'm January the 8th playing golf in my shorts in Miami, Florida. I mean, somebody's got to do this for the Lord. And I, I loved being there. I mean, I, I and I had a church that was one third African American, uh, another third was um, uh, Caribbean African, uh, another third was Caucasian. I mean, it was it was. I mean, it was diversity ethnicity. It was growing. Forty percent of our members were new believers. I loved where I was, but. Um, but uh, God made it pretty clear over a period of time, just on my heart, and uh, my wife kind of got ahead of the curve on me on this one, that that's where we were supposed to go. So we went to plant the church. I think here's, here's the thing you have to realize in a call. You have, to have a, you have to have affirmation of the external affirmation of the church. You've got to have a heart for the location and a heart for the generation that you're going to reach. And, um, and God gave me all of those, and that's why I went, I inherited 38 wonderful people who weren't trying to plant a church because they were mad at somebody. They were trying to plant a church that would be evangelical, Reformed, and Presbyterian. And I said, let's go for it.
0: What attributes in yourself did you see that gave you the confidence that, that you could be a church planner? that you could do,
2: that you could carry out this mission, if you will? Hunter, I'm, I, that's a great question, but I'm going to have to kind of redefine it, if you don't mind. Because sure. Honestly, I am. this is no false sense of humility. I really don't. I, listen, I don't even sleep on Saturday nights, and I've been at this 40-something years. I, I, um, I, I honestly, I, my confidence, I, I'm not just saying this, please hear me. I, my confidence is in the Lord. You don't know how much I love Matthew 16. I will build my church. This is Jesus' church. It's not my church. It wasn't Frank's church. It wasn't my church. Uh, it, this is Jesus' church. Uh, I will build my church. That's Jesus owns it. Jesus designed it. Jesus purchased it. And I get the chance to work on it. And I want to do gold, silver, and precious jewels. I don't want to do wood, hay, and stubble. I want something that lasts for Jesus, and that means Jesus has got to do it. Uh, secondly, you play to your strengths. I, after a while, people will let you know where your strengths are if you're called to the ministry. So I got 38 people. What I was supposed to do was start about three small groups. I didn't. I started a morning worship service because God has granted me some blessing as a preacher. So you play to your strengths. I started three early morning Bible studies, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I started three lunch Bible studies. Now, listen, I taught the same thing to all six of them, but I did. I did. That's what I did because I had to play to my strengths and then staff and and recruit and disciple to my weaknesses, and that's just what I did. But my confidence was in the Lord. I knew that Jesus had purchased his church with his blood. I knew he is going to build it. And the other text, that text also tells me I'm in a war. I'm, I'm, I'm in a war that's already been won, but there are real battles. I'm going to, Jesus wouldn't say I'll build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it if two things weren't true. Number one, he can't win. You don't win wars with gates, he can't win. He's been defeated. Jesus has marched up to those gates, knocked them down, got the keys, and we win the victory. The second thing, though, Satan, while he is defeated, is not destroyed. And we're going to be in a battle until Jesus comes again. The first time he defeated his enemies, then when he comes again, he'll destroy his enemies. In between, it's just, like, it just like when those boys got on top of those cliffs at Normandy, Hitler was done. He was done, but they still had to go hedgerow by hedgerow and village by village. And we've got to go city by city and nation by nation until Jesus comes again.
1: That's great. Uh, Dr. Reader. we're closing up on our time here. Just one kind of final question for you. Uh, if somebody wants to learn more about revitalization, wants to learn more about embers to a flame, maybe they want to have their church uh, re- remember, repent, and recover their first things. They're, they're seeing that need, they hear what you're saying and it's resonating. Where would you point them to
2: for resources? Well, I'd point them to Embers to a Flame uh, website. And um, I tell them to if you can, come and bring a key leader with you to the January conference, where we go over the paradigm and the 10 strategies, put you into small groups, Uh, consider after you do that of taking the next level, which is fanning the flame, our coaching ministry. That's what I would encourage you to do. But here's what I would just say to you. Don't come if you're looking for, how do I take briarwood and start it here? No, you come looking for and warning: what are the biblical principles of remember, repent, and recover when they are strategically implemented in a church. Then you will contextualize it. Uh, you, listen, um, Birmingham is not Manhattan, uh, and uh, Birmingham also isn't Gabston. Uh, but Here's I believe that Christ's Church is his church with his mission and his message. I don't care if you're in Kansas or Kenya. I don't care if it's eight hundred a d or twenty eight hundred a d Now, how does it land? Start with the biblical model, then land it. Don't start with a contextual model and and then and then Uh, put it up against the scripture, start with the biblical model, and the model of revitalization is very clear in the Bible. Jesus gave it. I cannot improve upon it. And then by his spirit, seek his help to implement it, and we'll be there to help you in church revitalization. And And I can also share with you many, many pastors that have gone through it, and the Lord has blessed them. And they can encourage you as well. Companies of pastors are always encouraging for God's people. I think Calvin was, um, I think Calvin was ingenious uh, to put that company of pastors together, which is really what a presbytery ought to be uh, in Geneva. That's that was ingenious. You need that in your life as well.
0: So I would add that a church planter might be thinking, "I don't need revitalization." conference, but I have been twice and I found it profitable even from the church planting the beginning perspective. So I would encourage you, if you are a church planter and you're not in a situation that involves revitalization, to think about Embers to a Flame because it has been helpful to me. Dr. Hunter,
2: Hunter, could I just make one comment on that if you don't mind? In a real sense, if I could put it this way, the 10 strategies, the first two are remember from where you've fallen and repent, and then recover the first things. Well, actually, while if your church planting, you don't have anything to remember. And you haven't been there long enough to have anything to repent of then uh, then then you can just start with the next eight strategies, which is what I did in planting Christ's covenant. in Pinelands, I had to do all ten strategies, but at Christs Covenant, I just basically did those eight strategies. and if you don't mind just a little bit of advertisement, I've got a book coming out called Ecclesia: God's Church for the Ages. And that, and um, in it, we talk about what uh, what does it mean to plant a gospel healthy church? What does it look like? And the last part of the book are the three pastorates of church planting, church revitalization, and next level pastor. And that's where our conference is headed to. The first half of our conference covers what is the church and how its mission, its ministry, its means, and its message. And then what do we then we go to those three different kinds of pastorates and we have the last half of the conference is you get into groups of church planters, church revitalization pastors, and next level pastors with coaches to help you walk it through in the conference. So that's where uh, the conference is headed and the ministry is headed.
0: That is great. That is exciting. I'm glad to hear that and thank you so much for joining us today. I know that you're busy and I appreciate you taking the time to jump on, jump on here with John and I. So thank you again very much.
2: It's my privilege. Thank you and praise the Lord for what you guys are doing. And, um, and hang in there in Fargo, North Dakota. Praise the Lord.
0: That's the last word for now. Thank you to everyone listening. You can reach us here as always on Twitter and Facebook at the number five points planting or send us an email to the number five points church planting at gmail.com. See y'all next week.